Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Maltopia podcast. For our oldest and most loyal listeners out there, we wanted to let you know about our new Patreon page. Outside of our careers and time spent with family, the three of us here at Maltopia have been working every night and weekend for the past five years, building our company into what it is today. With your help, our goal is to make Maltopia our livelihood, allowing us to bring you higher quality content, exciting new podcast series, and published works, and a large central community for you to take part in. As a thank you for your support, we're offering exclusive perks and bonus content, like early access to podcast episodes, behind-the-scene creator videos, and more. Go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia today and explore our membership levels. And be sure to scroll through for free public content, some of which gives you a sneak peek at what you can expect when you become a member. From Mark, Steve, and Walker, thanks again for enjoying our podcast, and we hope to meet you soon on Patreon.
The passengers made a quick stop at the Uplink Center, this time to reference any entries concerning legends of the underground theaters. After Hazel downloaded the results into her laptop, they all struck out for home. The ride back was as silent as ever. It seemed no happiness could be tracked into the city, a realization had by one and all, but never uttered out loud. Everything since the Sunset Theater was a wisp of smoke, an infirm dalliance with Daydream. The world was always falling apart, one Newtonian truth at a time. What could the world even be? Keith mused out loud. His words meant the least to the group, as they assumed him insane, which he thought was entirely short-sighted of them. The machine would never have allowed him to get away with it that easily. At most, he was eccentric, at the very least, chatty. It was all he could do to black out the scream. As such, the nodding silence was allowing the storm in his head exceptional latitude, so he hoped to inspire some conversation. Eric sat closest to him, so Keith thought him the most likely to feel inspired, or at least obligated by the spoken sentiment. When the deadborn said nothing, Keith decided to stare at the man, prompting him. Noticeably begrudging a response, Eric cleared his throat and said, Who knows? Death is no firmer than foam, and life is but a plaything for machines. If that says anything sane about the world, I'd sure as hell like to know it. There's nothing reliable about life, and death, or anything in between. Keith saw a bit of smoke rise from the response, but he'd need to blow on the conversation a bit to get it roaring. And that bothers you, Keith responded, feigning surprise. I, for one, never liked the world before the darkness. It was plain, uninspired, and altogether wretched. All causes cemented to their effects. No wiggle room at all. Not to mention boring as rock-watching. Mars shot a grimace at Keith through the rear view. Didn't we just watch a fucking rabbit toast a giant worm? A worm wearing a goddamn party hat? Well, not to be overly particular, but I believe he was toasting us, the viewers. But nevertheless, I get your point. Hardly the business as usual, yes? But isn't that refreshing? I mean, the lot of us know our fates are locked to a machine from hell. But what good are locks, or fate for that matter, in a world where worms wear party hats and rabbits can afford night vision camcorders? It's just that sort of nonsense that gives us a fighting chance. More so than what would be proffered by a world gilded by numbers and science and sanity. The conductor's words seemed to take everyone off guard, all except Hazel, who voiced her support for the idea. Gotta admit, he's got a point there. Nature seems to have gone sideways since the darkness. All bets are officially off. Hazel proclaimed, emphasizing her last sentiment with a bit of showmanship. Speaking of the machine... The Mal Engine, does anyone remember anything that happened when they were in it? Because I sure as hell don't. No one does, Lynn said flatly. What happens in the machine stays in the machine. A Vegas truism, isn't that right? 
Keith was determined not to let Lynn's sour mood impede the momentum of the burgeoning conversation. Well, I've seen a bit of that sideways nature up close and personal, and I'm not sure I'd be thinking of it as a good thing, Mars growled, moving the topic backwards. Why, I think we just might have a story on our hands. Please, Mars, elucidate. We are all ears. Keith effused, knowing full well the Warbringer would more likely tap dance than share something personal. As expected, Mars ignored the request and fixed his attention back on navigating the winding road. The passenger's van turned down the one lane that led into Deadwich, putting them face to face with a bus leaving the city. As it passed going the opposite direction, at least one dozen Malsapiens appeared seated inside. Hazel immediately asked, Where are they going? Wherever the company sends them, my dear, Keith responded, realizing the conversation had likely reached the end of its tether. The specter of Deadwitch, good for nothing but brooding. The day was nearly over by the time everyone retired to the living room, waiting nervously to review the information contained on Hazel's laptop. For Keith, every gathering demanded its proper accoutrements, and so he treated the moment as special, preparing finger food and drinks. The crackle and tin of his bygone big bands mixing with the shadows as if stirred by a bartender. Most of the information proved little use to the group merely reiterations of what was already known, which left a single audio file, taken from another online stockpile of Weird Book episodes. The file was named Man Sneaks Into Under Theater. Keith lifted the needle from his record, and Hazel clicked on the file. Okay. I'm in the theater now. Place, uh... This place looks like uh, one of those uh, vintage theaters, uh, you know, you'd see in the 50s or something. I'm gonna, gonna try to take my seat now. I, th I think there's people in here or, or something um, in the seats ahead of me. I can't be sure, I don't know. The film's starting. Oh, Jesus Christ. No. I can't watch. I can't watch. I can't. Fuck. No. No. I can't get up. I can't get up. I... No. No. No, somebody. Somebody help. No. left of the room was an echo, the wake of something massive and terrible fading into the distance. Keith broke the silence out of spite, denying his fellows the pleasure of its company. Hmm, sounds like they were showing a comedy, a damn fine one at that. There was no response from his colleagues, 
just a wordless pondering that wandered in circles, searching for the door. What the fuck does the company think we're going to do against something like that? Mars rumbled, pointing at the laptop. One thing's crystal clear. We certainly don't want to watch the damn thing, Eric added, giving his temples a good rub. Hazel seemed most phased by the recording, her face downturned, hands grasping the sides of her neck. She was the least seasoned of the group, and Keith knew the horrors were just beginning to seep in. All he could do was offer her a stiff drink, which she took without looking up. We need to get the film reel and get out. No, darling. Which means we do whatever we have to, to whomever we have to, as fast as we're able. Keith already took Lynn as their leader, so her words laid the foundation for his thinking upon the matter at hand. Even if she just sanctioned the wholesale slaughter of whomever or whatever they might meet, no questions asked. He took no issue with the decree as killing was never a problem for him, just a matter of finding the right notes. This was apparently not the case with all the passengers, as he watched Hazel lift her head only long enough to finish her drink in a single mouthful. Predictably, Eric had his reservations. So effectively, you want us to run in there and slaughter everyone? Surely we, we can do better than that. It seemed Eric hadn't caught up with the pecking order. What would you have us do, Eric? Ask for it nicely? Those people fought hard to get their tickets, knowing full well the risks. Dying was probably the least of their concerns, given what we've just heard. Eric didn't respond when Lynn paused for rebuttal. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm not in the mood to give a shit about the types of people, or whatever else, that might be down on that place. We just get the damn thing and get out at whatever the collateral expense. No one down there is innocent. Including us, Eric finally interjected. Including us. Hazel sat on the edge of her bed thinking about the people she'd killed. Murdered. The ease with which she'd snatched life from the Oversapien, Byron Ditch, the Werewind, commending him to the dust. Even if the pleading look upon the man's face more than warranted the act. She worried that death was something she was getting too familiar with, accepting of. Especially now that the man she felt closest to was revealed to harbor an undead Goliath. There were too many horrible fates floating upon the surface of her mind. The most troubling concerned the Oversapien. It wasn't just that she'd killed the man, but what he represented, what he betrayed while dying. The connection between the children of the machine was incontrovertible. But there was something different about that moment, something more solid than a mutual foreboding. She almost felt the shackles that bound them when she reached down to kill Byron, where their fates intermingled in kind and consequence. Yet, unlike other instances she'd ripped the living years from Thing, the Oversapien's time felt different, as if she'd robbed him of something that wasn't his in the first place. This was far more tangible than a shared sense of dread. This was proof of ownership. Her head suddenly felt too heavy, encompassing the sum of the past as it did, let alone the ghastly realizations she confronted on the regular. Deciding the evening's revelations too much to linger upon, she decided to put some sleep between herself and the recording, the killings, and the thoughts of the machine, even if that did run the risk of nightmare. Nightmare. 
She was asleep before she knew it, her dreams moving into familiar lanes. All of them choked with corpses of bygone cities and empires, many in varied ascents to power, followed by inevitable, almost scripted declines. All of this visibly outlined the very heartbeat of civilization itself, spikes and troughs illuminating the face of a giant heart monitor. The dream shrank, as recently it had, focusing upon a small subsection of history, something hidden within the fog of a forgotten epoch. A walk of life that thrived in secret, owing to powers she'd scarcely guessed at. Even as her mind drifted towards the prevailing stone of a familiar chamber lined with terrible beasts, which stood in obedience and veneration of the thing looming above her upon its throne, she woke up. At least she thought she had. She couldn't move, her body pressed into the bed as if by invisible hands. Instinctively, she reached out her power, but time and matter seemed doubtful things. While her power just hung in the air, it was as if someone had gently taken it by the hand and placed something into its open, questing grip. Figures stirred at the foot of her bed, two short ones flanked by a taller, leaner shadow, all of them silhouetted by the moonlight. She felt the object in her temporal grip, sand or perhaps dust. One of the shorter figures spoke. We need this one back, if only for an instant. His gift cannot be suffered to waste. It was Spider Black. She was almost sure of it. As if to give shape to the man's name, the tall figure unfurled searching, hooked appendages, striping the room in their length and number. They moved together, clicking and hissing as they went about their strange business, which seemed to Hazel almost like knitting. The bizarre action yielded a sort of netting, with the moonlight shining behind the material divulged small rivulets of twisting veins. It was a web of skin. Now, bring him back to us. Spider prompted. Intuitively, Hazel reached into the past of the dust. It was the werewind. Hauling him from the ashes took most of her strength, spent as it was from trying to break from her apparent paralysis. From the side of the bed rose the shape of the dead man. Before he could utter a sound, the web snapped over him, its barbed tips overlapping like teeth. Byron's muted scream woke her from nightmare. She was alone, the room silent beneath a frost of moonlight. She looked at her hands. They were wrinkled. Had she used her power while asleep, she wondered. But where were the effects of such an exercise? The room was as she'd left it before drifting off. Though exhausted, she lifted the temporal veil obscuring the time she'd slept through. And then the world went black. Feeling weak the next morning, vague fragments of dream flitting about her head, she made straight for the coffee maker. Passing the hall mirror, she noticed crow's feet creasing the corners of her eyes. Nothing a stand of old trees can't fix, she thought. Deciding to strike out a few days early to reconnoiter the area wherein the showing would take place, Yellowcliff, the passengers headed east, past the monstrous barrier sealing off the city of New Victoria, and through the Preacher Barrens, where the tip of the infamous Tower of Teeth could be seen soaring above the treetops, stabbing into the graying sky. But first, 
They would make a quick detour into Dismith, so Mars might collect on his bet and perhaps place another. They destroyed much of the shipping district the last time they visited Dismith, slaughtering a good number of its guardians in the process. It was also the night they realized precisely what lurked beneath Eric's pale exterior. After the man was seemingly cut down by several hidden sentries, the group left him for dead, his body skewered by so many blades. His killers might have prayed for such an ending. The dead knot made a point of what he was capable of, what he lived for, slaughter. As he gazed across the city, Eric's hand went to his neck, where the dock worker had sliced open his throat, the first of many such lacerations. The kill switch under his sleeve failed him that day. He was forced to feel the pain of his death, endure the process one cut at a time. Sinking back into the darkness that was as much his birthplace as his grave. He could sense his brother watching the memory as he recalled it, yet the giant remained quiet. I can feel you watching. Why are you so silent? Eric asked. It hurts me to see you so mistreated, brother. How many times you've died already. The pain you must suffer. And for what? You know what. Such an empty reward, Eric. You deserve more. So much more. And I suppose you could get it for me, Eric replied, an edge of sarcasm sharpening his tongue. No, brother. I cannot. I can only kill for you. Mine is not for the sunset the quiet looks exchanged between lovers. Mine is the grave, and the will to fill it, slowly, hideously. You should know by now that I am the want for more life, and the failure to attain it, and all the hate born between. All that you were the very moment of your death, I am. But you are no longer dead, are you? And yet you carry on like a ghost, lacking only the sheet and clanking chains. You spend your time sparring with me, rather than doting on the one who thinks so kindly upon you. And on that count, you needn't worry yourself, brother. She has nothing to fear from me. Which brings us to your most recent errand, and what you have the need to ask, but won't say. Yes, I will take special care to watch over her, like the sweetest secret. But you should mind well the words, the stealer of senses. She knows whereof she speaks. Her darkness is as deep as ours. Perhaps more so. Even I have trouble seeing her clearly from time to time. Ah, uh, well, thank you for that. I, I can't imagine what will happen in this place, but that awful recording, if it's true... Indeed, it is true. Madness is but the death of the mind, and death belongs to me, little brother. Be certain... For I saw it true enough. You caught a terrible fate. 
You would, that is, if I weren't to go there in your stead. So, mark well my words. Do not wait until madness is at your throat, or hers. Bring me up, straight away, and I shall do all that needs doing. You have my word. Uh, very well then. Do as you say. As he spoke the words, he was reminded of the machine, for a devil bearing gifts is no less a devil. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. To help us grow and spread the word, we'd love nothing more than for you to like, comment, rate, and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. You can also connect with us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and tweet us on Twitter for the latest original artwork and important updates. And for even more about our ever-growing literary world, head to Maltopia.com to read our dark fiction and gain access to giveaways and discounts with our newsletter.